So something, uh, back to your regularly scheduled sermon, uh, something I've learned recently is that one of the hardest parts about being a parent is the way your children hold a mirror up to yourself. It's scary. It's humbling. It's startling when Patrick does something or says something that I know is really revealing who I am. For instance, my son never stops talking. Never. Didn't get that from his mom. Over the summer, a lot of movie theaters have been doing special showings for kids with uh, like one or two dollar tickets. So Patrick and I have gone to a few of them. Um, and we'll be driving to Manassas or to Kingstown or to Fairfax. And frankly, I just want to listen to a podcast. Have you ever been in the car and just wanted to listen to the radio? Uh, but Patrick will have lots of questions. Daddy, are we at the movie theater yet? Daddy, how far away is the movie theater? Is this a long trip? Is this as far away as Sammy lives? Daddy, can we go to Sammy's house? And I think at some points he starts getting my frustration uh, because then he'll say, Daddy, do you have time for many questions today? <laughs> I love you, Patrick. <laughs> and um, when that happens, I, I know exactly how you all feel towards the end of my sermons. <laughs> or sometimes when Patrick is misbehaving, I'll say, Patrick, you need to start listening. You need to start making good choices. You need to start behaving, or I'll just take all your trains away. And I realize I say that pretty much every time because when uh, I tell Patrick uh, he can't do something, like he can't watch any more TV, he'll say, Daddy, if I can't watch TV, I'll just go away and hide. Or sometimes he'll be like, I'll just pick up all my toys and clean the, clean the house. Wonderful. <laughs> All right, so these stories weren't as great as you were hoping for. They weren't as great as I was hoping for. But it leads me to say this. In a similar way, one of the hardest parts of reading the Bible is when the Bible holds up a mirror to yourself. There are numerous stories in the Bible that, when I read them, show me more of myself than I am comfortable with. It's almost as if the Bible is reading me. Has that ever happened to you? When a passage of scripture, you're reading a passage of scripture and you begin to see yourself in it. Most of the time when it happens to me, I see myself as the character in need of grace, the one in need of mercy, the one in need of transformation. I'm rarely the hero. Instead, I'm the one God is coming to the rescue for. I can't read the story of the prodigal son without being convicted of my own self-righteousness. I'm totally the older brother in that story. And when you get to the end of the story and uh, you hear the older brother talk to the father about how he has toiled and slaved for years and years, I see a mirror coming up and the Bible revealing my own feelings. I often think that I have toiled and slaved in a lifetime of being a disciple that has left me missing out. Missing out on what I don't know. But I hear God say to me, this is not how you should feel about your discipleship. It's not about toiling and slaving. It's about joy and life. But the prodigal son is not our topic this morning. This morning we are going to continue to look at female characters in the Bible. And our story this morning is one that often holds a mirror up to us. We are going to be looking at the story of Ruth and Naomi. A tale of deep sadness and amazing redemption. 
And as we do, I want to challenge us to see how their stories can be an avatar for our stories. Ruth and Naomi's story begins this way. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. The story of Ruth begins with the family living in Israel, seeking salvation from a famine by going to Moab. While in Moab, the sons of Elimelech and Naomi marry two Moabite women. Then the tragedy begins. First, Naomi's husband dies. Then her two sons die. So Naomi is left in a foreign country with no husband, no sons, and two widowed daughters-in-law to take care for. And here's the biggest problem. As a widowed woman and a foreigner, Naomi had no rights, had no standing, had no property, had no money, and had no ability to make money. And yet she has to take care of herself and her daughters-in-law. Now you might ask, what would Naomi be expected to do in ancient times if she had no rights or standing to inherit property and no ability to make money and very long odds of marrying again? In ancient Israel, there were provisions for situations like this where a family member could come in and be a kinsman redeemer. We're about to talk about ancient economics. Brace yourselves. This was a close male relative who would essentially have first dibs on the inherited property, but he would also have to take in the vulnerable family members into his household and under his care, seeing to it that they were well cared for. So Naomi, being an Israelite, had her best option for survival to return to Israel and find a kinsman redeemer. Now, if she returned with two foreign women in tow, it would make it harder for Naomi to find a kinsman redeemer, three extra mouths to feed being three times as many as one extra mouth to feed. And with all that backstory in mind, we can continue with the first chapter of Ruth. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, 
Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So there's that beautiful line right in the middle of that section, and it's the, perhaps the most famous line in the book of Ruth. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. It's quite beautiful and this amazingly sweet sentiment. And yet, I don't think Naomi wanted to hear it. I think Naomi wanted Ruth to stay with her own people, it would have made it easier for Naomi to find a kinsman redeemer if Ruth had stayed behind. Sorry for ruining that wonderfully sweet verse of scripture. But Ruth comes anyways, and Naomi returns to her homeland dejected, claiming that God has led her into ruin. The first chapter ends with that curious phrase, with this little throwaway detail that the barley harvest was beginning. In ancient Israel, there were certain provisions in Torah that were an ancient safety net, if you will. One of them is about gleaning. Torah says that landowners during the harvest, uh, landowner, sorry, landowners are not allowed to, uh, sorry, back up. We will get through this. So during the harvest, landowners are to leave the corners of their field unharvested and they are not allowed to take anything that fell to the ground or anything that was overlooked during the main pass-through on the harvest. This food was to go to the widows, foreigners, and uh, parental orphans. So when Naomi and Ruth arrive back in Israel, Naomi tells Ruth to go to the barley fields, it is the barley harvest after all, and glean. It just so happens that Ruth goes to the field of one of Naomi's kinsmen, a man named Boaz. Boaz takes pity on Ruth and gets his servants and his men to help her to make sure she brings home a good amount of flour for Naomi. After Boaz continues showing her kindness in the coming days and weeks and ensures that Ruth and Naomi have enough food to get by, Naomi gives Ruth some motherly advice. She tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor and wait until the men have finished eating and drinking. 
Now, to bring this into modern language, the threshing floor was basically the pub. And the point, uh, at the point when this plan goes into action, the Bible describes Boaz as being in good spirits. And Naomi tells Ruth to wait until that point and then go over to Boaz and see what happens. And what happens is Boaz wants to be with Ruth. There's only one problem. Boaz knows that there is another familial relation that is closer in line to be a kinsman redeemer. So Boaz calls the town elders together and the person in line to be the kinsman redeemer uh, and Boaz asks this guy if he wants to buy Elimelech's land and be the kinsman redeemer to Naomi. At first this guy says yes, but then balks when Boaz reminds him that he will also need to take care of Ruth. So the first guy passes and the dibs fall to Boaz. Boaz says he will be the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and for Ruth. And then Boaz marries Ruth. There's another little bit to this story, but I want to stop here for a moment. It's certainly an interpretive move, but I think I'm on firm ground to make it, to say that Naomi would rather have had Ruth not come back to Israel with her. When we feel downtrodden, when we feel like the world is against us, how often do we simply want to be left alone? How often do we recoil from the idea of community? When we are in survival mode, how often can we only see the three feet in front of our face to the detriment of those around us? I said the hardest part about scripture is when it holds up a mirror and we see ourselves. In the first chapter, all Naomi can think about is how can I save myself? She's in survival mode. And when we are in survival mode, we only ask, how can I save myself? We never ask, is there someone around me who can save me? And yet, as the story is told, it's Ruth who becomes the means through which Naomi is saved. Literally, Naomi is redeemed because of Ruth. Or at least, Naomi has a redeemer because of Ruth. And yet Naomi tried to turn Ruth away. Naomi tried to convince Ruth to go home to, to her family. I think the difference is in seeing ourselves in trouble and seeing ourselves in, as in need of a savior. I think those two things are different. Kathleen Robinson Farmer puts it this way. If the story told in the book of Ruth is to be redemptive for the people of God, then the people of God must identify with the one who is redeemed. The story of Ruth becomes a story of redemption for Israel. Only if Israel can be persuaded to believe that the redemptive efforts made by God on Naomi's behalf will be made by God on Israel's behalf as well. There is a simple truth about the Christian life. We can only be redeemed if we see ourselves as needing a redeemer. We can only be justified if we first admit that we are sinners. We can only be sanctified if we admit that there are areas in our life that need healing. Areas of our life where we could do better. Can you admit that? Can you admit that you need a redeemer? And yet, how often are we so slow to ask for help? Even from those who seek to love us. How rarely do we let people into the most vulnerable places in our lives? 
How often does our pride get the best of us as we hide the most important parts of our lives from those closest to us? In other words, how come we always say doing good when people ask how we are doing? In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to talk with those sitting around you. And here's one of the questions you're going to be asked. Where in my life do I need help from God, from my family, from others? Now, all of this leads to the one detail of the story that I have left out. Here's how the book of Ruth ends. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. There's this weird thing that happens at the end of the book of Ruth. We could easily read about 95% of this story and think that Boaz is the redeemer of Naomi and Ruth. But then Ruth conceives, bears a child, and Ruth tells Naomi, the women tell Naomi, the Bible names that Ruth's child is Naomi's redeemer. Which is a bit confusing. Because Boaz has already declared himself to be Naomi's kinsman redeemer and has married Ruth, so it's not like Naomi needed any extra security. And yet, the Bible says that it's Ruth's son, not Boaz, that is Naomi's redeemer. There's another element, another part of the backstory of this story that I haven't raised yet, and it has to do with the greater historical context of a part of this story. Ruth is a Moabite. The Bible has so far made a lot of the fact that she is a Moabite. Last week, we briefly mentioned that there was a conflict between Israel and a Moabite king uh, where God raised a judge to kill the Moabite king. So who are these Moabites? The Moabites were descendants of Lot. Lot was Abraham's brother. When God told Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a land God would show him, Abraham left with his wife Sarah and his brother Lot and Lot's family. A few chapters later, Abraham and Lot part ways with a blessing and are never seen together again. So for an Israelite to marry a Moabite and for the pairing to produce within a few generations King David, God has redeemed a conflict that goes back centuries and generations. God has reunited the brothers Abraham and Lot. God has done a big new thing. The book of Ruth is a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption for the particular events that happened in the life of Ruth and Naomi. But it's so much more. As Ruth and Naomi reconcile and are redeemed, as Ruth marries Boaz, we see the redemption of a centuries-old conflict between the descendants of Abraham and his brother Lot. And as Ruth tells Naomi that Ruth's son is Naomi's redeemer, 
We see this story point towards the redemption of Israel realized in King David. As Obed begets Jesse, we hear the promise that Isaiah 11, 1 through uh, 2 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. This story is about our redemption because the child of Ruth and Boaz is our Redeemer, Jesus the Christ. So what we see in this story is God working to redeem the past. What we see in this story is God working to redeem the present. And what we see in this story is God's plan for a future redemption. All in four chapters. The Bible is brilliant. All of which means I have three questions for you. And just so you know, if you haven't been here for a couple weeks, what we're doing this summer, it's hard to connect with people. A lot of our small groups aren't meeting for the summer. Um, some of us haven't been a part of small groups. So to give a little bit of connection, to give a little taste of what small groups are like, we're ending the sermon with many small groups. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you haven't, you've only got a few more weeks of it left. So here are your questions this morning. Where in my life do I need help from God, from my family, from others? What past sins does our community need redemption from? What future redemption do you have hope for? And I apologize for ending so many questions with a preposition. With the folks around you, talk amongst yourselves.